those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew Nunn. Uh, I've been a member here for a while, me and my wife Anna. Uh, we are very grateful to be here, excited to teach uh, this equipping class. No longer ABF, equipping class. Wanted to make sure I get that right. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you heard Jacob teaching on what Christians believe about the Bible. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how to prepare to study the Bible. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to pray and we can jump in. Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this opportunity uh, just to come before you, um, to, to hear from your word and to think about uh, how to better study your word, Lord God. Pray that you would be near to us, Lord we know that you are at, at work at UBC and uh, around the world this morning. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, take these truths, uh, God, and impress them into our hearts. Lord, I pray that your word would bear fruit, that we, be, we would be the good soil, Lord God, and that you would um, just help us to become uh, trained and faithful workmen for you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Uh, so as, as we get into this class, I want to think uh, just here at the front a little bit about the value of studying Scripture and the value, particularly of studying uh, God's Word, uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament. So, you know, I want to look at a couple saints that have gone before us who have faithfully sort of run the race and what they've had to say in their observations on Scripture. <clears throat> so George Mueller once observed, that the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. John Wesley once wrote, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me that book. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. <clears throat> and here is the Puritan Richard Baxter, who you might know from uh, his treatise, uh, The Bruised Reed. Such is the depth of the Christian scriptures that even if I were attempting to study them and nothing else from early boyhood to a decrepit old age, with the utmost leisure, the most unwearied zeal, and talents greater than I have, I would be still daily making progress in discovering their treasures. So these saints knew something about the word of God. They knew that there was deep riches, deep treasure here, such that if they were to study it their entire lives, devote themselves completely to this one book, they would never exhaust the riches. These, the scriptures are bottomless and they're priceless. And so as we learn how to best prepare to study, to approach these scriptures, uh, I want to go back even farther uh, before these saints and look at one who predated them. In fact, his meditations on the word became the longest chapter in the Bible. So does anyone know what the longest chapter of scripture is? Psalm 119. That is right. That is right. So Psalm 119, uh, written by David, uh, most likely, uh, is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has uh, 1,179 words, 176 verses, 
And it takes about 15 minutes to read out loud. So in other words, it's really, really, really long, right? So Brandon, if you'd go ahead and just read through that. <laughs> just kidding, totally kidding. No, I'm, I'm kidding, but you know, jokes aside, this is actually an incredible resource for us as we think about you know, how, how do we study God's word. Uh, because it's too long, I do want to actually spend some time reading it, uh, but we're just going to focus on the first three sections. So verses 1 through 24, um, the first will be verses 1 through 8, second 9 through 16, and then the third 17 through 24. So could I get three volunteers to read? Okay, 1 through 8, 9 through 16, and then 17 through 24. Whenever you're ready. Thank you. And then 9 through 16. Thank you. And then 17 through 24. Thank you. So, you know, as, as we hear that, you think through that, maybe look back over it, uh, what words would you use to describe David's approach to Scripture? What are some words you would use? Meditative. Meditative. Yes, I like that. Walks in the law. Walks in the law. Yep, he's got a, his eyes on the law. Yep. Humility, yep. Eagerness, yeah. Yep. Yep, delight, absolutely. Anything else? Desperate, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we could go on and on and on. There's a lot of ways we could describe this. We see this earnest, longing, hunger, you know, 
this dependence, uh, this wholeheartedness maybe. Uh, But all of these words start to paint a picture of someone who is just all in in their study, all in after God. So again, David here is an example for us and how we ought to approach Scripture. You know, David's continually crying out to the Lord. It's as if when he's reading, he's reading in the presence of God. You know, uh, he's seeking understanding, he's seeking blessing, he's seeking revelation directly from the Lord. And David understood that God's word is a treasure, and he approached it just like that. He had again that single-minded devotion. And note, you know. As David is meditating in this psalm, you can't really neatly divide the tasks of reading and praying into separate events for him. Note that you know David's, David's uh, psalm here has prayer weaved into his consideration and meditation on God's word. So for the remainder of our class, we're going to take our cues from David and other saints in scripture. Um, we're going to consider how we ought to approach God's word in our study of it in our heart preparation, uh, in our prayer, and in our initial reading of it. And as I mentioned, often these categories, they're going to overlap in our, in our own experience, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at each one of these in turn. So starting with heart preparation, you know, as we consider what kind of posture we should have uh, for God's word, we're going to start in Luke uh, chapter 8, Verses 4 through 15, which is the parable of the sower. Those of you that are familiar. So if you would turn there, I can get a volunteer to read this. Chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Anyone like to volunteer? Thank you. Appreciate it. So here in this parable, Jesus is uh, he's offering his disciples a picture of the importance of how we approach Scripture. So in this parable, there's four types of soil. You've got the soil along the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, 
and then the good soil. And, and you know, we may, we may think of this parable strictly as speaking about four different kinds of people, as if, you know, and I want to be clear, it's, it is four different kinds of people, right? Ultimately, it's a, a characteristic way that people live, that, you know, that in the way that they approach Scripture, that's the way that they're characterized in these categories. But, um, you know, if you look down to verse 18, uh, there's, there's a conclusion uh, to this series, these two parables that Jesus gives. And, and both parables um, are around this idea of approaching God's word, how, how we listen and how we hear. And, and uh, the way that Jesus concludes these parables is with this exhortation. Verse 18, he says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So, Jesus' uh, exhortation is, take care then how you hear. So, the lesson of the parable of the sower is about how we listen. So, you know, while, while I, I want us to recognize that these are four different kinds of soils that can characterize four people, it can also be uh, us. We can be one of these soils every time we approach Scripture. You know, think about... Um, when we, when we half-heartedly approach Scripture, um, if you've ever woken up in the morning, you know, maybe spent some time devotionally with the Lord, but you didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, you were running, you, you had to go off to work pretty quickly, so you, you know, spend a couple minutes reading, you maybe write like one little observation, and then you go off to your work. Let's say you, you think about it that night, and you're like, what did I read in Scripture this morning? And you, you literally can't remember, right? Well, in those moments, the way that we've approached Scripture has been characterized as really one of those soils that's not going to bear fruit. You know, like the soil along the path, ultimately, where the, the seed's scattered, but it doesn't really take root, and it's not going to bear fruit as a result. So, uh, you know, in those moments, we need, to, we need to heed what Christ is saying here. So, you know, maybe by way of illustration, um, what, are, what are some of your favorite restaurants in Fayetteville? You can shout them out. Slim? Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> of course Jacob's going to say Slim's, if you know Jacob. Feltner Brothers. Brothers? Yep. Cosmos. Excellent. Loaf and Joe's. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's go with Loaf and Joe's. Okay? <laughs> let's go with Loaf and Joe's. So, what do you like to get at Loaf and Joe's? Nice, very nice. Okay, so uh, our approach to scripture can often be like going to Loaf and Joe's, getting Parmesan garlic potato chips, uh, sitting down, getting a whole plate of them, a massive pile of it, putting it in our mouth, chewing it, tasting it, and then spitting it out and walking away. Right? There, there is no, there's no digestion. There's, we don't complete the process. Right? And, 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 and this is the danger of, uh, of how we can hear God's word. We can, uh, we can we're, we're meant to sit and to taste and experience God's word. You know, we're, we're, we're meant to move from the initial tasting, reading of scripture to the digesting, meditating of scripture. So there's a danger in persisting in this kind of approach to scripture. Christ's lesson is, is to approach 
God's words as the very words of life. You know, to approach Scripture as if it's coming from God, because it is. We approach it as the words of life, because it is. So, as we prepare to study God's word, we should take this teaching to heart. The good soil is the one who hears God's word and, as he says, continues in it. Or some translations would say, holds fast to it. Meaning we think on it, we store it in our hearts, and we we act on it and integrate it into our lives. That's what it looks like to be the good soil. And so, you know, coming back to David in Psalm 119, for a moment, let's just think about how David displays what it means to be the good soil that Jesus is referring to here. Here's a man who's ready to linger over God's word. Right? We don't get the sense that David was thinking about what he was going to eat that day or uh, the assignment that he needed to do. He was, he was all in with the Lord. And you, you may be thinking to yourself, you know, well, that's great, right? That's great, Andrew. David, of course David diligently studied God's word. You know, he was a varsity Christian, right? He's, he's a professional, you know, but I'm, I'm like freshman B team. You know, I barely got on the team. I'm barely there. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at focusing or I'm not as smart or as disciplined as he was. But here's the really important thing to realize. You know, David didn't pour over God's word and discipline himself in the study of it and long to learn his ways because of some dry, you know, pious self-improvement project, ultimately. And, you know, I think that's an easy pitfall to fall into. I, I totally uh, saw the Christian life that way uh, early on. You know, I, I would read the Bible uh, looking for some command that God would have me to do, uh, but, but ultimately that I didn't want to do. Uh, and then I would try my best to muster up the strength to do it that day. And it just, honestly, it wasn't fun. Uh, wasn't enjoyable, and I didn't really read my Bible all that much because I didn't want to do that. But what was missing, and what David understood, was that God's word isn't first about a list of things to do better at and to try harder at. It's first a book that contains a treasure that God wants to reveal to us. So Matthew 13, 4, uh, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the treasure in this book is God himself. The God who knows our internal resistance to his will and our lack of desire to know him and to please him, who can't live up to his perfect standard. But he's the God who nonetheless sent his son to live and die in our place so that we might be forgiven and given the privilege to have fellowship and forgiveness with him forever. And this is what David so clearly understood, right? Revealed in the Bible is the God in whose presence there's fullness of joy and who gives us his righteousness. And every time we approach God's word, we should approach expecting to see more of that treasure, looking for that treasure. It's not a drudgery, but it's a joy. And as we find that treasure, the commands of scripture start to look different to us. They don't, they, they don't look like that dry, you know, sort of self-improvement idea that we used to have. They, they start to look more and more uh, like this freeing, natural thing. It's a way of becoming like this God that we behold. It's, it's a reflection, as, as Jacob said last week, of his character. 
And so when we want, when we love God, when we see him, we want to become more like him, the commands are just the pathway there. They're the expression of our joy in God. <clears throat> so, as we approach Scripture, again, we should aim to find that treasure. We should aim to see the glory of God in Scripture. So there's a treasure to be seen in God's Word, uh, but we need God's help to help us see. And as Jacob noted last week, Romans 1.18 teaches that we naturally suppress the truth about God in our unrighteousness. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, Paul teaches that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He then goes on to say, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, overcoming that natural disinclination to God's truth and our blindness to the glory of God requires God to give us supernatural help. And this should lead us to a place of real humility and dependence on God every time we open scripture. We need God to reveal himself to us if we're ever going to know him. It's just that simple. Consider the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry, right? He caused the dead to come to life. He caused lame men to walk, uh, and he caused the blind to see. And these were true events that actually happened physically, uh, but, but I think they pointed to a deeper significance. They pointed to a deeper spiritual significance. You know, these conditions represent our spiritual state apart from God. We are dead. We are lame. We are blind. We can't see or know or love God uh, in our own uh, natural resources. But in gospel, we find that Christ is both willing and able to miraculously intervene. So we need this intervention every time we open our, our Bibles. It's the Lord that reveals himself. And again, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't help us in that, we can't truly know him. So that, that, that is the basis of our humility as we approach Scripture. We, we look away from ourselves and our resources to the God who has promised to help. And we should take real, help, we should take real heart that the Lord desires to reveal himself to those who are humble. Uh, in Isaiah 66, 2, uh, God says, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So faith and dependence are indispensable to our approach to Scripture. As James says, God, God is opposed to the proud, but he promises that he, is, he gives grace to the humble. So we lead out uh, in humility as we read. But in our humility... We should also be ready for action as we start to study Scripture. You know, Jacob noted last week, uh, our study of Scripture should always lead to two things, love of God and love of neighbor. If our approach to Scripture isn't leading there, uh, we can be sure that we're approaching it wrong. You know, it's, a, it's a simple litmus test as we consider our time in the Word. Another way of saying this is that it's not enough to think of studying Scripture merely as an intellectual exercise. Now, to be, to, be, to be sure, studying Scripture will require all of your intellectual resources. 
It's, it's rigorous. It, is, it requires discipline, all those things. But it's not merely an intellectual exercise. We need to avoid the idea that we are reading Scripture simply to gain new, interesting insights uh, that we never saw before, or simply uh, you know, spending all of our time on rabbit trails and never actually getting to the, the real point of, or the real heart of the text that we're in. When we read, we should be aiming to see God, to be transformed, to become like in him, and to build our lives upon his instruction. You know, consider the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus', Jesus most famous sermon. In the sermon, he covers a lot of ground, right? He, he covers the blessedness he's calling believers into. Uh, he covers the fact that he is the fulfillment of the law. He hasn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Uh, he gives warnings about minimizing the law's commands. Uh, he teaches on prayer, about loving others, about loving your enemies, etc. You know? But Jesus makes it clear that uh, his teaching isn't meant to be heard merely as interesting thoughts. Something going on. <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice. We need to mop this floor anyway, so we're good. Uh, so we, we shouldn't merely think of Jesus' teaching as interesting thoughts, and Jesus makes that really clear to us. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if someone can turn to Matthew 7, uh, verses 24 through 27, uh, he, he gives us some help in how we ought to approach uh, what he's just said in the sermon. How, how should we uh, approach his word? So if I can get a volunteer to read Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Thanks. Thank you. So here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just gone through all of those um, teachings that we, we talked about. And here at the end, he's, he, he, he clearly communicates that he expects his teaching to be acted upon, not merely heard. Uh, so we, we see uh, in verse 24, whoever hears these words of mine and does them. So we, we're to read to build our lives upon uh, the word of God. Every time we open God's word, we should expect to build our lives upon it in proportion to our understanding of it. So again, to be sure, scripture isn't merely a list of commands. It certainly has com- commands, but it's first a, uh, a pronouncement of good news that transforms us. And we need to keep this good news in view uh, sort of as our last um, stage as we consider how we prepare our hearts uh, to approach Scripture. So, you know, we're not, we're not reading Scripture seeking to uh, obey in order to earn God's favor. Rather, we read and obey because Christ has already secured us favor with God. And this order is, is crucial. It's so dangerous if we get this wrong. This is, this is the thing 
that the Pharisees got wrong and ultimately led to their condemnation. You know, in, in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, Paul gives a sort of um, an exhortation. He gives an exhortation that comes after he's unpacked uh, the gospel in all of its fullness. And, it, it, you know, Romans is uh, perhaps the deepest unpacking unpack- of the gospel in Scripture. And after he's gone through the glory of the gospel and what Christ has done in securing our favor with God, giving us his righteousness, uh, we read, Paul say in Romans 12, 1 through 3, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, as I mentioned, what comes before Romans 12 is the entire unpacking of the gospel. Paul explains that no one's righteous and none can make themselves righteous with God. But God in his mercy has forgiven us and granted us his own righteousness so that we're already pure and spotless and blameless in his sight. So Paul begins Romans 12 with, Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, as a a response, offer up your bodies and seek transformation out of the joy of this reality as worship. We respond to God's grace by seeking to be obediently conformed to him. We don't seek to be obedient in order to earn God's grace. And notice, uh, particularly in, in those verses, the way we seek to be conformed. We seek to be conformed by the renewal of our minds, by studying and by internalizing the word of God and living it out. So before we open our Bibles, we have to remember that we stand completely secure in the grace of God, and we're studying our Bibles to offer ourselves up as worship to please the God who's already made us his own. In other words, we need to remember the gospel. But, you know, we can't have a class about preparing to study the Bible without talking about prayer. And as we, we talked earlier, you know, humility and uh, dependence are vital in our study. So maybe we should know, you know, okay, I know I need to be prayerful, but what, what is it that we should pray for in order to best prepare to study? Here again, David's going to serve as a helpful guide for us. We see in uh, Psalm 119 several things that David prays for that are instructive for us. First, we see David pray uh, for a desire to read God's word, which is a very interesting prayer. Uh, Can someone read Psalm 119, verse 36? Okay. Awesome. So sadly, we we often wake up without uh, much of a desire, if we're if we're honest without much of a desire to read God's word. You know, our hearts are often dull, and we're just not really feeling it. But one thing that John Piper actually pointed out in this verse um, that I've found incredibly helpful is, is that this prayer should actually be really encouraging to us who feel that way. Uh, we see, you know, David was no strang- stranger to the struggle to want to read God's word. Um, David knew what it was like to have his heart divided 
as he tried to pursue the Lord. If not, this prayer wouldn't make any sense, right? You know, uh, if David didn't know the pull of his heart towards other things, then why would he be praying, Lord, turn my heart away from selfish gain to your testimonies? If there was, if there was no internal struggle, then the prayer doesn't make any sense. There would be no reason for the prayer. So even David needed the Lord's help to turn his heart to love his word and to loosen his grip on, on the world. So the Lord saw fit to preserve this prayer for us. And if you find yourself in that place, you know, recognize this, this isn't, uh, that doesn't mean you're disqualified. It's not, a, it's not time to just give up. But recognize that the Lord wants you to, to imitate David here, to pray to him and ask for uh, help, ask for the desire to read his word. Uh, and he's going to help you as you continue on in reading. Another way David teaches us to pray is found in Psalm 119, 169. Uh, there David prays, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding, according to your word. So we're to pray for understanding. And you know this prayer, maybe more than any other prayer in Psalm 119, is all over the place. It's all over the place. In fact, if, if you guys just take a second, glance over those verses, shout out a couple of verses, different references you find, where David's praying for, you know, Lord, give me understanding, teach me, you know, show me your ways. Shout a couple out. What else? Yep. Couple more. Yep, and look at the verse right before it. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. What else? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could, we could go on and on and on. There, there are so many prayers uh, of David asking the Lord for understanding. And again, if we're, if we're thinking about David with an open book uh, in the presence of God as he's meditating, so much of his meditation is, is, is asking for the Lord's help and understanding, which is really instructed to us. You know, a lot of times, we can get to the point when we, we feel like we, we don't know what's going on. We don't really understand the meaning of this passage. And we can just conclude, well, maybe I'm not smart enough. You know, maybe, maybe I, I'm just not trained enough or, or whatever. But recognize that, you know, David, again, as our example, is showing us that even David, who, who knew God's word arguably better than anyone in his time, constantly needed to come back to a prayer of coming to the Lord, asking for help and understanding. And that, that's ultimately what got him to a place of that understanding. It's not by our resources. So, uh, you know, as, we noted, as we noted earlier, in order to understand, we need supernatural help, or else we're going to be just like the Pharisees. You know, Jesus described them as those who trusted in themselves, and because of that, they went on seeing without perceiving and hearing without understanding. Um, 
Can I get someone to read 1 Corinthians verse, or sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is actually uh, some verses that Jacob read last week, but I want to return back to it to illustrate, uh, again, the, the supernatural aspect of studying Scripture. Go ahead, we. Excellent. And we see, we see Paul move on to say, you know, who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? It's also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. He goes on to say, but we have, we've been given the spirit and we have the mind of Christ. But, but, but the reality that's being pointed out here is that we need the spirit of God to know the mind of God, to know the word of God. You know, God, whose thoughts are infinite, whose who is, uh, there is an infinite uh, distance between our finite uh, createdness and his creatorness, right? But he has sent his spirit that we might know him. The spirit condescends to instruct us in these ways. Jesus says in John 14 that it's better that uh, Jesus should leave so that the helper, the spirit, would come. Uh, and he promised that he would teach us all things. So every time we open up God's word, it's an opportunity to trust in his promise and to depend on the spirit that he's promised to give us, to, to first trust that he's with us, and then to trust that he will teach us, as he said, and give us understanding. And this is something that David understood. You know, these realities that we find in scripture are too great for, for his own effort alone. And so, yeah, Again, the, the, the side note is that, in this would be don't give up too easily as you're studying. Uh, don't, don't get to the end of your uh, understanding and your, and your ability to think through these things and conclude, well, that's all that I, that I can know. Now I need to go uh, read a commentary or something like that. It's not wrong to read commentaries, and we, all, we ultimately read Scripture in community, as we talked uh, previously, but as we try to grow in our own study of the word, uh, it, so much is learning to press into the Lord when we've sort of reached the limits of our own understanding. And the Spirit will actively help us as we continue to think over the word of God. The third way we should pray uh, as we prepare to study is seen in Psalm 119.18. 
can someone read Psalm 119, 18? Yeah, so David prays to behold wondrous, uh, wondrous things, or ultimately glorious things, the glorious things of God in his word. We see a similar prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, uh, where David, turn there quickly. Dave, or sorry, not David. Paul uh, prays, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, as, as we mentioned earlier, we, we need the Spirit of God to help us to understand and, and to see uh, these wondrous things. Open, open my eyes, I behold wondrous things in your law. You know, it's possible to read the Bible and to have sort of a surface-level understanding, right? I can read uh, Romans 5.8 which says God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can read that and I can repeat it back to you, but, but that doesn't mean that I know it, that I truly understand it or that I see wondrous things in it. Uh, maybe I, if, if I'm merely having that surface level understanding, I won't be able to understand the scope or the depth of, of love or the worth of Christ's death in it. I can't see the glory of God in it. So it's like the difference between reading notes uh, in sheet music for a song versus actually hearing and experiencing a song. Besides maybe we, because he has perfect pitch and he can just hear that in his head. Uh, or as Jonathan Edwards said, uh, it's, it's like the difference between knowing that honey is sweet and then tasting the sweetness of honey. There's a difference here. So without the Spirit of God, we can't see or we can't taste his glory as we read. Which is why Paul asks in Ephesians 3 for strength to comprehend and to understand the love of God that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond mere head knowledge to the, the kind of understanding that hits our hearts and really affects us and changes us. So again, David instructs us to ask the Lord to show us his glory uh, through prayer in our study. And we can't talk about prayer uh, without looking at how Christ's disciples, sorry, Christ taught his disciples to pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Luke 18, uh, 2 through 4. Can I get a volunteer to read that one? Pardon me, not Luke 18. Luke 11, 2 through 4. Luke 11, 2 through 4. Excellent, excellent. So, you know, here we see Christ teach us to pray 
by radically, initially, radically reorienting our priorities, right? Uh, he begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we need to take this prayer to heart in more ways than one. Often, we can come to the Bible seeking out something in it that we think we need, right? We're, we're looking for maybe encouragement for that day or maybe wisdom uh, for some problem in our lives or forgiveness, uh, maybe for a sin that we committed recently. Maybe it's, it's an answer to tough questions. We can focus our prayers on ourselves first and, and maybe the immediate concerns in our lives. Well, it's not wrong necessarily to, to seek these things out and seek answers in Scripture and, and through prayer. Something is wrong if that's our normal approach and our normal diet uh, of Scripture intake and prayer. You know, maybe by way of illustration, imagine uh, LeBron James came to Fayetteville and asked if he could teach you uh, how to play basketball, right? Because he does that kind of thing. Uh, you and he go to the gym, and you immediately start getting really excited, and you ask him, LeBron, can you teach me how to rebound? And he's like, okay, uh, we can do that, but there's, there's some other things we maybe should get to first. But you push back, and you say, no, 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 let's work on rebounding. I really want to get good at rebounding. So he shows you the ropes, and he gives you some pretty helpful advice in rebounding, and pretty soon, you're a great rebounder. You know, you figured out rebounding. You, 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 can, you can box people out and get the boards whenever you need to. But after a while, LeBron, you know, comes to you and he says, you know, I want to show you how to do a jump shot, right? Maybe let's get to, to some more basics uh, in basketball. But you push back and say, no, 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 I'm not quite there in rebounding. I think I can still get a little bit better. And so you, you spend the rest of your time with him focusing on rebounding. Well, if you would have done that, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not very excited about your approach there. Yeah, I think you're wasting your time with LeBron if he comes to you, offers to teach you how to play basketball, and you focus on rebounding. So rather than setting the agenda yourself, you ought to have recognized that LeBron has way more experience in basketball than you do. And he probably knows better than you on what you should focus on uh, in order to grow as a player. And you should have let him lead the way. Should have let him set. You should have come to him asking, LeBron, what do I need to focus on? How, what, how do you become a better basketball player? Or is there anything I'm not even thinking about right now in order to do that? So if that's true with LeBron, a man, how much more should we defer to our creator who's infinitely wise and knows us better than we know ourselves? Right? So we see in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to approach him with a willingness to let his priorities lead the way during our study, during our prayer. That means when we come to Scripture, we, we need to be ready to let God's Word create questions in us that maybe we didn't even have before as we read. It sets the agenda for us and what we're, we're going to be focusing on. We don't rig the game by only focusing on what we want to see in the Bible or only what makes sense to us, even. And that's part of what it means to truly listen and to hear God's word, to truly have a soft heart as it relates to approaching scripture. We don't buck against things we don't understand. Instead, we sit in them, and we allow the word to shape us and to form 
questions in us that naturally arise when we seek to understand what, what it is that God has communicated to us. Another way uh, this issue can show up of not aligning with God's priorities uh, is in our presuppositions. So, you know, presuppositions, we all have them. Uh, it's, it, presupposition is just a big word for uh, basically things that are supposed beforehand, things that are believed, things that we assume uh, as we approach Scripture. Um, some presuppositions are fine. They're good. Um, you know, as we read Scripture, we naturally form more and more presuppositions, uh, like, you know, God is triune, or his word is inerrant, or Jesus is the Son of God. All good, great presuppositions that we should naturally have. But some can be bad. Some can even be very sinful. You know, think, my race is superior to that race. Or, you know, the Lord's Supper is literally the body and blood of Jesus every time we celebrate communion. We often imbibe these kinds of ideas, uh, these kinds of predispositions or or thoughts uh, from our upbringing. But, you know, for our sake, we, we need to be aware that we can all be carrying mistaken beliefs around. And as we approach the Bible... Uh, we need to be aware that the Bible may be correcting um, uh, these, these mistaken beliefs in us. And we need to be open to letting the Word do that. Again, that's, that's the process of letting the Word shape and sometimes reshape the beliefs that we bring to the table. So as the Lord's taught us, we need to be willing to pray for the Lord to align us to his purposes in whatever area that plays out. And, and that's a heart and prayer posture as we enter our study. Finally, the last prayer we're going to focus on this morning uh, is found in 1 Peter 4.11, which says, Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Here we're called to, to pray for the strength to obey when we prepare to study God's word and even after we've studied God's word. So all the way from praying for a desire to want to read the word to then uh, a desire, not just a desire, a desire and an actual working out of uh, what we've read in obedience. Our study is to be marked by dependence on the Lord throughout the entire process. So, so far, uh, we've talked a lot about sort of the preparation, the, the prayer and heart preparation before we open our Bibles uh, but now we're going to start to get practical. Got a few minutes here at the end. So, you know, how can we set ourselves up well to study the Bible with our initial reading, our first reading of any text? You know, one of my favorite shows of all time is the BBC version of Sherlock. If you've, if you've ever seen it, I assume that it might be one of your favorite shows too. It's just that good. Uh, you know, in each episode, Sherlock would come to a crime scene and then immediately start to observe everything, like a supercomputer. You know, he would notice the way that dust settled on the ground or maybe the direction of a stain on a couch or the way someone's nose would twitch when they spoke. And while not every observation helped him to solve the case, these observations always served as the raw materials uh, that helps him put the pieces of the case together in the end. So the first practical part of studying 
any passage is to read through it. And then once you've read, you start to become like Sherlock Holmes. You gather as many observations together as you can. So, you know, in terms of observations, you might be wondering, like, okay, what, what kinds of things are you looking for? Well, if you got this in the back, if you don't have this, there's handouts in the back. Um, there's a couple of different categories on that sheet that can help uh, spark ideas in your minds of what to look for uh, when you read a passage. Things like, you know, key words or phrases, maybe repetition of words throughout the text, uh, comparisons and contrasts, the tone of a text, or uh, an important one, uh, a pivot point. Is there a, a, a natural a change in the flow of thought uh, in the passage that you're reading? So to start this process, we've got a few minutes here. Um, we're going to break out into groups of two or three. Uh, we're going to focus on Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And over the course of the next three minutes, uh, you're just going to list, you're going to read through it once, and then both of you list out as many observations as you can. Uh, then we will come back and, and just shout some of those out. Just as an initial pass, initial starting point uh, to, to learn this process. And, and I, w- I will point out, uh, before we break out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel obvious, a lot of the things that you're observing. But that's kind of the point, right? We're trying to, to see what's really there. And so, like Sherlock, we're, we're gathering raw materials in our study. Um, so, use the handout, um, break out for a couple of minutes, and then we will come back uh, and talk about what we saw. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. All right. We are going to come back. I know that that wasn't a lot of time. Uh, for the sake of time, we've got to, uh, we've got to keep going. Um, so hopefully that gave you a little bit of time to look over a few observations. Um, did anyone see any contrasts or comparisons? What did you see? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you you're definitely seeing that contrast being drawn out there. Dead, spiritually dead, spiritually alive in Christ. Spiritually dead in sins, alive in Christ. Okay, anything else? Any other contrasts? Comparisons. Okay. Sure. Yeah, you could draw out a comparison between God and His righteousness, absolutely, versus our unrighteousness. There. Um, maybe you you see the uh, contrast between uh, grace and faith on one side and works. On another, they're in uh, the the latter half of the uh, passage. Okay, um, let's go to repeated words or phrases. What what repeated words or phrases did you see? By grace, absolutely. See that multiple times in this passage. What else? Uh, 
in Christ. Yep. Anything else? I saw trespasses. You see that repeated. You see dead repeated. You see love repeated. Um, uh, Walked uh, and walk. Interestingly, verse 2, uh, as we've noted, you know, the, the, the passions of the flesh in which you once walked versus uh, the, um, where is it? Verse 10, uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, um, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's this contrast even of walking going on there at the beginning and the end of the passage. Um, and then I'll also point out riches. Uh, you see the riches of God's grace, riches of his mercy, uh, which is an interesting thing to, to really highlight in this passage. Um, so what are some uh, key words or phrases? A lot of times these are going to be repeated words uh, because they're on the mind of the author. So going back to dead and alive, grace and works, you're going to see those uh, throughout this passage. And then the last point on uh, observations, I'm curious if anyone saw a pivot point Again, that change in flow of the passage. Where would you guys say the pivot point is in this passage? This verse 4. Yep, exactly. But God being rich in mercy. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of minutes here. Uh, I'm going to conclude just by talking about the next step. What do you do once you've gathered sort of these raw materials through observation? Well, uh, the next step is to summarize. And, and summarizing is uh, where you really start to try to wrap your mind around what it is that you've observed, what it is that you've just sort of collected uh, in the text. And I found that I really can't start to see the meaning of any text until I really try to, to summarize it into a sentence or two. The process of summarizing takes the raw material of your observations and sort of gathers them in a meaningful way. So when we summarize, we're trying to understand the meaning of a text. And what we mean by that is we're trying to, uh, to understand what it is that the author intended to communicate to his audience in their context. It's not what we feel the meaning is. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's ultimately what the author was intending, what they wanted to, to get through to their audience. So, uh, for the sake of time, we would have spent some time uh, working on summarizing. Don't have enough time for that. Uh, but as you, you know, go home today, you can try to practice this. Basically, take what we've observed in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, um, and try to, try to pack as much of the meaning uh, and as much of the content as you can of these verses into one sentence. So, you know, a couple of notes on your summary here. You, you should start with something like Paul tells the Ephesians. Uh, when, you're, when you're starting to summarize, you're not immediately getting to the application, how it relates to us. You're starting with what it meant to them back then. So Paul tells the Ephesians, try to use as many of the original words uh, from the passage as possible in your summary sentence and try to capture, again, as much of the content as you can. But note, uh, when you summarize, don't feel locked into the straitjacket of like perfectly summarizing on the first sentence. It's not gonna, you're not going to do it, I mean, ultimately. 
it's, it's very difficult to do that. And it's, 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 you know, see it as a rough draft, ultimately. You know, but I promise as you do this, as you go through the process of summarizing, even in your daily devotions, uh, you'll see that your understanding is starting to grow as you put yourself in that frame of mind to really start seeing the passage in that uh, compact way. So all that to say, you know, I, I rework my summaries probably 10 times before I actually feel good about it. Uh, but getting one down uh, as a rough draft really helps you to then just adjust and to see more in the passage as you go. Well, we've got a couple of minutes, covered a lot. Any questions before we break out? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, it's important to have breadth in your reading. So, you know, obviously I would recommend like a Bible in a year program. Um, what generally what I do is I will, I'll have a, a specific time where I'm going through a, a Bible reading plan and then I'll have a separate time where I'm really just going through a couple of verses or maybe one passage to really study and, and go deep in it. Uh, because it, you're, if, you're, if you're trying to study all of your Bible in a, in a year plan, you're, gonna, you're not going to have time, ultimately. You, you really just need to focus on a few verses um, to get into deep study. Any other questions? Excellent. Well, I will pray, and we will break out. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us uh, alone in our sin. Um, after Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against you, Lord God, we thank you that the story didn't end there. We thank you that you have sent your son and you have uh, written out uh, the process of all of history and the goal of all of history in your word. Thank you that you've shown us the path of salvation uh, you've shown us uh, how it is that we can come to know you uh, and enjoy you forever, Lord God. So I pray that um, you would give us all a desire to read your word, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, Lord. God, and I pray that as we, as we open our Bibles uh, and as we attempt to study, Lord, help us not to be uh, merely uh, proficient academically, but Lord God, I pray that you would impress your glory onto our hearts, God, that we would be changed uh, and that we would uh, live in such a way that uh, is worthy of the gospel that's revealed in the word. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, guys.